So uh, I would like to welcome Honorable Mr. VC Sir, Honorable Mr. Registrar Sir, and others to the first ever uh, HNL Alum Connect podcast series or the Hack podcast series. So the, the, today's topic is how to land a foreign law firm job and who better than Adarsh can talk about this. So a brief introduction about Adarsh. Adarsh is a corporate partner in the New York office of Kirkland and LS LLP. He focuses on complex business transactions, including leverage buyouts for private equity clients, cross-border and domestic mergers and acquisitions, minority investments, and other general corporate matters. Prior to joining uh, Kirkland, Adarsh worked as a corporate attorney at EZB and Partners Mumbai office. Adarsh did his BLLB from Hidayatullah National Law University in 2003, BCL from University of Oxford in 2010, and LLM from Harvard Law School in 2014. Adarsh, thank you for joining us with, joining us today with the inaugural episode of the Hack Podcast series. Now, I would like to invite uh, Dr. Uday Shankar, Sir, Honorable Registrar HNLU, to say a few words. Thank you, Yashwardhan. And uh, good evening to all. Good evening to the Honorable Vice Chancellor and uh, others and my other colleagues, so Anindya and uh, Ankit. Uh, so podcast is all about creating a channel of informal engagement. And uh, Almini Affairs Committee has taken a very creative step to start uh, this Almini uh, Connect podcast series. I believe with an aim to reach out to illustrious Almini of HNLU and uh, giving a platform to the students of the university to engage in a very casual conversation with such Almini. And uh, I welcome uh, others' Varkis. It's a matter of delight that uh, the guest of the inaugural session of podcast is others' Varkis, uh, the first batch alum who has a very highly accomplished career and no doubt very inspirational for uh, the students of HNLU. Uh, I have been made to believe that uh, uh, every year the HNLU alum plays an instrumental role in career opportunities of the graduating batch. Uh, we look forward to expand the engagement with the Almini uh, beyond identifying uh, the suitable employee for the employer, uh, but also we believe that uh, Almini would facilitate in shaping up the future plan of the university. And I strongly believe that uh, the podcast series will establish a strong connect between the university and Alum. Uh, I congratulate Alum Affairs Committee for taking this initiative, and I, I truly uh, believe that it, would, it is going to be a very impactful session ahead. So uh, others, welcome. Uh, welcome to HNLU, though virtually. Uh, it's very glad to see you. And uh, we really look forward for your uh, session ahead. And keep uh, in touch and uh, stay blessed. Thank you. Uh, I think you're on mute. Thank you for the address, sir. Uh, now, I would like to invite Dr. V.C. Vivekananda, on, Honorable Vice Chancellor HNLU, to address the inaugural session of the podcast. So. Okay. Uh, Mr. Adash, the chief guest for today's podcast, who is going to talk to his HNLU fraternity about uh, his own experiential learning about, you know, uh, positions and jobs in abroad. And then uh, Professor Uday, uh, Registrar, Founding Faculty of HNLU. And then uh, other three, incidentally, are ex-HNLU alumni, apart from the anchor. So it looks like I'm a bit like a minority here, in a sense, which is dominated by 
you know, actually, you, you know, stalwarts. So, but as I said that uh, uh, this pandemic, in a way, stunned every one of us all over the world. But I thought uh, there is a default design in many things. And that is where uh, we quickly first started working on the minimum digital connect. Basically, to talk to my faculty where I was sitting in Hyderabad, I couldn't come over here. And so we had this every week meeting just to see, simply to motivate each other and see we are safe. That was what uh, we used the 40 minutes, you know, Zoom free platform to do. And then quickly we thought, uh, we were one of the best way to keep ourselves engaged in depressing times. And then started the very interesting Sui Generous is the name we gave uh, for the faculty seminar program, which we initiated every 15 days. A faculty will give a topic seminar for 35 minutes, followed by you know interactive session. And so it picked up very interestingly. That was again not something which would have done even in a physical world, normally speaking, but that was very routinely followed. Then very quickly we moved on to certain platforms which we tried to brand as well as possible. And one was XRK, which means uh, out of the box, trying to get some people to come and talk. And then we went and started what you call as Alma Matters, right? That was one of the things which we thought were, will be good to bring it because by the time I was in touch with few HNLU alumni, and I thought there'll be another one. And then it quickly followed with two, three, one more initiative called Lexosmos, which offered a 16, you know, R course, which is non-CGPA, but out of the box courses. And so that all picked up. So in a sense, the pandemic is not completely gone, but it is receded. And then we are back into the uh, physical classes and uh, having the, you know, physical interaction in terms of academics. But it, the good thing was about the digital initiative, which came out of a crisis, but, you know, has stabilized a lot. In that context, this extension of the Alumni Affairs Committee, which has been, I would say, the most aggressive committee among the committees in HMLU so far, has been doing a lot of work. And so they had a marathon two-month carry development, uh, you know, programs, which uh, I think, you know, I was quite... Uh, I'm often reminded every weekend, Saturday or Sunday, so there's a program just you have to join. So I was wondering whether they just now had a program. And then again, there was a program. So I would uh, credit uh, my faculty for doing this. In the same context, when uh, Dr. Anindya talked about this podcast, which I thought, um, you know, uh, is something, uh, again, which came in this uh, digital platforms. I thought it will be a nice, interesting thing which people can tune in whenever they want. I thought it's the best thing to do. So I was quite happy. And he said for me to come over and speak a few minutes. And so that's why I'm here. As I said, I am myself. Uh, had a great alumni experience in my post-graduation. I studied in Madras Christian College in Chennai, which is um, something phenomenal in terms of its alumni connect. If you are Madras Christian College person, any part of the world, including Timbuktu, you'll find somebody whom you can connect with MCC. Then we have our code word, what they call three hostels, 
your part at that time. One is called uh, Thomas, another is called Bishop Heba, third one is called Salai. And the rivalry is something tremendous among these three hostels. They don't bother about losing out to other colleges, but they never like to lose to each other hostel. So that is a kind of bonding. And everybody, first question they will ask you is, which hall you belong, if you are Madras Christian College. Then you say Thomas, and then the guy happens to be Heba, and he will give the choicest abuse after many years, right, meeting you. And that's how the whole spirit of the alumni connect in Madras Christian College, very, very vibrant, and they have meetings regularly, annual meetings, meetings, roving meetings, not just in India and abroad, because, you know, Madras Christian College is 100 years old and had great jurists like Krishnayar, who studied in Madras Christian College, and then you have many, many people like that. So it is a very interesting thing. I was only wondering, the alumni connect in among the national law schools, I wouldn't say something which is comparable to some of the other institutions. They are very sporadic. As part of national law school, uh, 25 years they connected the alumni, and many of the old students came. Then I find a lull. So I thought probably HNLU will lead the way among the national law schools in terms of alumni, even though, as you said, we are a much younger school compared to other schools. But I do feel that, that the alumni here are more uh, you know, passionate and they are connecting with the juniors. And only thing, it needs to be more facilitated. So uh, I have given a uh, rather a free hand to uh, Dr. Tiwari and his team to go ahead and then talk about all forms. There's podcast or a physical reunion or a roving, you know, kind of uh, alumni meet in other cities, whatever is possible to do, because I consider that um, uh, the motivation is about how people move out and what they achieve. So that it is, in my opinion, it is not just about jobs. It's about an inspiration of how people who made it and what is their experiential learning. So I'm pretty sure that this podcast will be another arsenal, I would call it, in the in the repository of HNLU Digital Initiative, and uh, it will bring in you know much more achievers. And so I'm delighted to uh, have Mr. Adesh, you know, who has been practicing out, and he'll be sharing. So thank you very much. Thank you, thank you for that sporadic uh, address, Mr. Sir. Uh, so, if others, I think it's a bit daunting for you to take take all of this nostalgia in. Uh, so, uh, I'll 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 just give you a plat give you the platform to you know address. I mean, if anything, if you have any nostalgic moments or you want to say anything about the college or you miss anything or anything up specific about the college, so yeah. Now, um, let me first just, uh, you know, thank you all for organizing this and for inviting me. Um, you know, like, um, uh, first things first, it's, it's fascinating to see Uday sir here right now. Like, um, uh, Uday sir was among one of the first uh, group of faculty we had when we were in law school. Um, he didn't have any gray hair then, uh, looked a little different, but he's still as handsome as ever. Um, so it's great to see you, sir. Um, um, I, I must also thank the Honorable Vice Chancellor, you know, for uh, his leadership in organizing this. I know, Yeshwar, then you told me um, VCSA was very 
eager about this and you know um, it, it's great to have um, you know somebody like that lead the university um, and you know um, we heard things about uh, how the alumni committee has been very active and um, what a great job they're doing um, I think that's wonderful right like we now have alumni you know there are people who have been out of law school for more than a decade now and we have alumni in all kinds of places um, our alumni are doing extremely well right so it, it is it, 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 i think it is an important function of the committee to, to reach out um to alumni you know get their perspectives i know i mean i i'm on the linkedin feed and the all the social media feeds so i i see everything you're doing about you know alumni coming to the university addressing students so i think we should just keep up all of those um you know both from a recruitment perspective and generally right alumni can be useful in different ways right just informal guidance whatever so uh, uh, so big, big congratulations to the committee to do, for doing all of that. Um, uh, I, I don't want to spend too much time on nostalgia right now. I mean, we can get into some of those later. All, all I would say is, you know, I made um, some some of my best friends uh, in law school. Um, I, 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 I think it's generally true in life that, you know, after a certain point in life, you, you make friends, but you don't make friends that are that really close to you. I think the time you make the best friends in your life are probably law school and then maybe a couple of years after that. Uh, you know, the friends I call the closest even today are people I met in law school. Um, so I, I'll just say that for now and, you know, we can talk about other things as we uh, go into this. Uh, but again, thank you for inviting me. Um, really honored. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Adarsh. So I'll just, I, I won't waste much of your time and I'll just go get right into the questions uh, because I think that's the most juicy part people are <laughs> waiting for. So, uh, so Adarsh, just let me just ask a very, it's a very common query. It's a collective query of I mean, all the law students in general. How does it feel living the suits life? I mean, uh, most of most of us at some point have watched suits and saw the lavish lifestyle of Harvey Specter and who was also associated with the magic for magic circle firm in New York. In some way or the other, that show sparked the initial fire to opt law as a career. So is your life more or less like that or Hollywood exaggerated a lot? Well, um, I hope you wouldn't be shocked if I tell you what you see in TV is not always the reality. Um, but uh, let me tell you this. Um, Suits was actually short, not all of it. Some episodes were short in the law firm I work in, uh, Kirkland and Ellis. Uh, if people are curious about it, there is a scene where um, Harvey and, uh, not Harvey, sorry, Mike and Rachel meet for the first time, uh, which is, you know, in a conference room Mike goes up to the, the huge windows there. He's admiring the view of the city. You can see Central Park from there. That's all Kirkland and Ellis, right? So that's so th that is as close to reality as you would get. But you know, if if you think like you can practice law in a big law firm in New York without having a law degree, right? <laughs> there could be nothing further from the truth. Um, if you think you would close a billion dollar deal one day and the next day you'll be in a courtroom defending somebody for murder, that just does not happen, right? And if you think all lawyers are that good looking, that's not true, right? Uh, much as, as we would like to think otherwise. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it is a TV show, it's entertaining, it's, it's dramatic. I think uh, 
maybe there are, there's a grain of truth in in some of the things. So if you see the show and if you think lawyers work hard and they work long hours, that is true, right? Lawyers do work hard. Um, if you if you if you get the feeling that lawyers abroad make a decent amount of money, there's a grain of truth in that. It's you know it's a it's a profession you're paid well, but you work very hard for it. It's a different question whether you'll have time to spend all the money you're making, but um, you know th there is a grain of truth in that. Um, but you know it, I wouldn't say it's it's very close to reality. Uh, it, it is a TV show. Uh, it's dramatic. Um, but if you're on the topic of TV shows and law firms, what I would recommend people to watch is a TV show from a completely different generation. Maybe I'm too old. Um, it's called uh, Boston Legal. Uh, it started airing in 2004. Uh, so I don't know, 20 years now. Um, it, it, not that it's it's any close to reality of law firm life, but I think it's a far smarter and a far um, a funnier show. It's got William Shatner in it. Um, I don't know if people know who William Shatner is. Uh, William Shatner used to be Captain Kirk in a show that was even older, 1960s. Star, Star, Star Trek, Trek, if I'm there. Exactly. Um, and he, he, William Shatner made news recently because he went to space in Jeff Bezos, um, spaceship. Um, but, uh, Boston Legal is a, I would think is a far funnier, far smarter show. Totally aside from the question you asked me, but, uh, I just, I, I really like the show. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's, that's actually, it's, it's very helpful. So, because, because I've, I've, uh, before I started preparing for CLAT, so there was one teacher so we have a gk post i don't know if you gave clat or not but <laughs> i had to give clat to to get into it so uh yeah. so in the gk class i think one of our professors not 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 professors but one of our teachers he came like the very first class he came to us and he said whoever has watched suits and is aiming for NLUs, just get the hell out of the class because law school is nothing like suits. The law life, law life in general is nothing like suits. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is what it is because I, I had to ask, sorry, but I had to ask you this because you are a New York, you are a New York attorney working for a big top shot law firm. So I, I had to ask, sorry. <laughs> so uh, moving on to the next question. So Adarsh, can you give some insights into your law school life i mean since you've uh, belonged to the very first batches of hnlu the nlu concept was not very prevalent at that time so uh, what made you choose nlu uh, over other you know substantial government colleges and since you were the first batch you had no seniors to approach to so how did that worked out for you okay um well it's a bizarre set of circumstances on how i ended up in hnlu i'm very happy i ended up there um so i so I went to school in Kerala. Um, every one of my schoolmates in my 12th grade, every single one of them were either doing um, engineering or medicine. Um, and my best friends at that time were all doing engineering. So that's the only reason I decided I'm going to do engineering. Um, and then, you know, somewhere between trying to figure out organic chemistry and calculus, I realized probably this is not, you know, the best best uh, stream for me um but you know by that time it is it was quite late right so i had finished 12 i had given my board exams um and then that's when i started thinking whether i should be doing something else and uh, if nothing had happened i would have just gone done engineering but what happened is my dad read 
the news one day morning and uh, what he read was it's a local newspaper called Malayalam Manorama. It's, it's one of the largest circulating newspapers because there are a lot of Keralites everywhere. Um, that newspaper had an article on this new law school being formed in Raipur. And the only reason that particular newspaper carried the news is our first vice chancellor was from Kerala. Uh, so it was really an article about how a vice chancellor from Kerala is being appointed to this new law school. Um, and there was a piece about it and there was a, there was one line about how the entrance exam for that law school is going to be in June or July, I'm forgetting when. But, uh, you know, by that time, the, there was no clarity at that time to answer your earlier question. Every law school had a different entrance exam. Um, so by that time, the cutoff date for all the other law schools had passed. And because I was not really looking into it, and because HNLU was like new, the first entrance exam for the HNLU admission was much later than all other law schools. So that's the only reason I <laughs> wrote the HNLU entrance exam. Um, and then once I got through, I somehow made up my mind that, you know, law is what I want to do. My dad was a lawyer, but that people ask me if that's why I chose law. That's really not the reason. Like, um, you know, I admire what he does, but I never like felt like that's the practice of law I want to get into. Uh, the closest reason what attracted me to law is, again, this is like an old reference. There's a series of books called Perry Mason. It's a fictional uh, lawyer. Um, the books were written in the 1940s to the 60s. Uh, it was made into a TV show in the 50s. Uh, it was very popular. HBO is now making that TV show again. It, it's on HBO now again. It's, uh, it's got, I think they started doing it again in 2021. But uh, the premise of the show was this, um, uh, of the book actually was this fictional lawyer called Perry Mason who, uh, who defends people who are innocent in courtrooms in California. Uh, there are 80 of those books. I think I've read all 80 of them. I don't know why I started reading it, but, um, you know, I picked up one of those books when I was in like eighth grade in, in a library. I really liked it. So those books are what actually first made me think of law and the practice of law. And that is really the reason I, you know, when I started thinking about whether I want engineering or something else, the only other thing that appealed to me was law only because I'd read these books. Um, that's how I ended up in, you know, HNLU and law school. Um, to your question on, was it difficult as the first batch? Uh, I don't think it was particularly difficult. I remember it as being exciting. Um, you know, we were a very small batch. We were like 47 of us in the first batch, right? Really small when compared to the batch size now. Um, there was a lot of Can you hear me okay? Uh, Anindya, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. please carry on. Um, so, um, uh, I remember the time, as I said, as being exciting. Um, you know, I think part of it was when, when HNLU started, the five other national law schools that existed at that time had, be, had been there for a while. Um, and, you know, after HNLU came, then uh, there were a bigger flow of new law schools starting. But when HNLU actually started, the five law schools before that were fairly established. So it, it was the first new, new law school that was established in a while. Um, and I remember, you know, our, all my batchmates, you know, having this, you know, this fire and desire to 
prove to everyone that you know we are as good if not better than anybody else that goes to any other law school right uh, there was a lot of excitement in trying to figure out things because you know we didn't as you said we didn't have like a senior batch to ask questions but you know like i think we were a very enterprising batch um i, I think uh, some of it is just circumstances right when you have nobody else to turn to you do a lot more work on your own um so i think we were very enterprising we were blessed you know in the first few years with an excellent faculty right we had professors like ajappa who professor ajappa who came from who had a long teaching career in national law school bangalore who was a part of the initial uh, roster of faculty um um uh, we had professor jafar hussein who again had a long teaching career uh, yeah, and we had a set of incredibly talented younger professors right udesa was there shantakumasa who's now at gnlu um so i think uh, the combination of having really good faculty plus small a small batch size where we are all uh, you know always trying to do what next and you know trying to look at what other law schools are doing uh, you know starting every it, it it's kind of it reminds me of starting uh, 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 a venture type of investment right it's, it's a startup right you have no clue of there is no set way of doing things you're doing everything for the first time like you think of like what's a sba right how do you form an sba what kind of committees do you need right and if you have a committee what does the committee do right what are what moot courts can we go to like first we have to discover there is something called moot courts right and then like if you're actually researching on what moot courts can you go to right um so i i remember everybody being um, competitive in a good way because you know everybody wanted to do well as a first batch and also putting the work to make that uh, happen so it was a close net uh, competitive uh, enterprising batch of students um which uh, which is why when i look back i don't think it think of it as being you know facing difficulties i think of it as being very exciting uh, and competitive in a good way right right uh, so uh, just just another follow up question with respect to that so we hear chief justice of india talking about the system of nlu being a uh you know a rather disappointing creating a rather disappointing picture because according accordingly uh the 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 notion of nlu came into picture to to produce a, a lot of uh, legal luminaries and a good good amount of litigate litigants so we 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 regularly whenever mr chief justice goes to a particular law, law school he 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 makes uh, he tries to uh, Uh, question the system of national law school being a producer of uh, corporate uh, corporate uh, people going majority of them uh, approaching corporates. So, what are your views about this? So, should should any use uh, target for producing more litigants or because because the problem here is that most of us are first generation lawyers, first generation pe- uh, people who who opt for law. So they they tend to think about you know. uh making money and you know having a secure future so what are your views about this i think my views are i don't think law schools should push students in any direction right the function of a law school to my mind is to prepare law students for the profession right and the profession can be a career in corporate law it can be a career practicing law in a courtroom um it can be a lot of different things right so i 
I don't think the function of national law schools is to push students one way or the other. Um, but I, I do think it's a function of law schools to prepare students for any eventuality and to show students the opportunities, right? Um, I think it is true that most, uh, if you take any statistical analysis, um, most students from law schools end up doing a corporate career. Um, and there are multiple reasons for it, right? One is, you know, like you have law firms throwing a lot of money on a, on a first year associate, which can be difficult to say no to, right? Um, but if you are a student and you are convinced that, you know, a law firm life is not what you want, you actually want to go to courtroom and practice law. What I can tell you is, uh, and this comes from experience, right? You, and if my, if you're, what you're worried about is money, right? It is true that you do make a, a less money or maybe significantly less money than people who go to law firms in the beginning, but it changes, right? It, 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 and it changes quicker than you think. Um, you know, five, six years down the line, if you've been practicing uh, in a court of law and you're successful, you can make equal or if not more money than people who are um, going to law firms, right? Um, so, it, it, so what I would tell you is don't look at it from a very short-term perspective about, it. it, it can, and I can imagine because I went through it, right? It can be difficult, right? You, you are a fifth-year law student there's a law firm that says you sign this contract come August, you're going to make whatever amount of money, right? You're going to weigh that against, you know, going to some senior lawyer who you may or may not have a relationship with and working for, you know, much less money. But, you know, if, if I understand a lot of people may not have, you know, family who's into law, but if you're sincere and if you're passionate about going to call room and practicing law, I think it is definitely worth the risk. Um, that there are people in my batch, there are people in um, uh, Anindya's batch who are all practicing law, right? And and it, it does not need to be Supreme Court. It does not need to be the Delhi High Court. It can be local courts, right? Where you're from, right? There is something to be said about going back to the place where you're from, right? And practicing law in those courts, right? It's a very rewarding and fulfilling life. Um, uh, so if people are passionate about it, I would definitely encourage people to do that. Thank for that. So moving ahead, uh, Adarsh, post HNLU, you attended Oxford and Harvard, which is quite a tremendous deal. I mean, kudos. So how do you think that helped you in your legal career? And what all qualities do you think a student should possess to make it to these universities? Uh, if I'm not wrong, you you went to Oxford and post, uh, post that Harvard after you did your, uh, I think your period of your work experience in AZB, right? Yeah, so I worked for two years after uh, after HNLU, then I went to Oxford. Uh, I came back after Oxford, worked for two more years, and then I did Harvard. Uh, it, 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 it's not, it, it might look like it was a very carefully thought about strategical plan. It was nothing like that. It was, again, like circumstantial. Um, and, and the, I'll get into the reasons why I did it before you know answering the second part of your question. Um, I always wanted to go to Oxford just because I had grown up reading about Oxford. Um, it, it when I went to Oxford, it was not in my mind it was definitely not a career-oriented move. I was not looking to change careers. I was not looking to work in a foreign firm. None of that, right? I just wanted to go to Oxford, and one and I wanted to read philosophy and jurisprudence, 
right? It had nothing to do with corporate law, which is what I was doing. Um, and again, right? Like the reason I wanted to read jurisprudence and philosophy is uh, because of Professor Rajapa at HNLU who, you know, uh, who introduced me to those subjects, right? Some of the subjects I actually enjoy the most in law school is not law. It's like the BA part of BALLB that people often neglect, right? We, when you say BALLB, the reason why there is a BA to it is because you're not only learning law subjects, right? You're learning sociology, you're learning political science, you're learning philosophy, all of that, right? Um, and some of the subjects, frankly, that, you know, appeal to me was those BA part of uh, the law school life, right? Um, so, uh, and the reason I went to Oxford is just to read more of that. And Oxford happened to be one of the better places to do it. Uh, so it was completely academic. Um, it did not have a goal other than, you know, being there was the goal in itself. Um, so I did that, um, and then I came back to HNLU. Um, um, and then I went to Harvard again for multiple reasons. Uh, one, I was, you know, I was had worked in ACB at that time for four years. Great place to work, very exciting. Uh, but I was also like a little, I had got this itch to see, you know, what else can I do? Can I try something new? Um, so that is what, you know, that was one reason. Um, the second reason is my girlfriend at that time happened to be in the US. So I wanted to be in the US. Um, um, so that's why I ended up at, uh, at Harvard after two years. Um, um, and now uh, to your question on, you know, how to get into these universities, right? It's, um, there are three things that matter to my mind, right? One is academic credentials, right? Because the, these law schools are all judging you based on paper, right? The paper material they have in front of them. They don't see you. They don't talk to you, right? Like all they have is your academic record that which is a piece of paper. The second thing is another piece of paper, what they call the statement of purpose, right? Like it's an essay you write on why you want to go to this law school, right? Third is again, a, again, a couple of pieces of paper, which is uh, letters of recommendation from people, right? Um, those are the three things that, you know, uh, almost all law schools judge you on when you're applying for an LLM or a BCL or whatever um, master's degree. Uh, out of that, I think your academic credentials carry the most weight. Uh, so it is important to have, you don't have to be like ranked one, but it's important to have a good, good academic record, right? A defensible academic record. All it, it doesn't show like there isn't, I don't think there's a perfect correlation between how good you are in law school versus how good you do in your career, right? People who are ranked very high in law school don't always end up being the best lawyers, right? Uh, that's important to realize. But when law schools have to admit people, they don't have anything else to go by, right? So one of the things that they pay a lot of attention to is academic record, rightly or wrongly, right? It may not be the full measure of how good a candidate you are, but that is all they have. Um, so academic credentials are important. The second is a statement of purpose, right? And different law schools have uh, different requirements on how long a statement of purpose should be and uh, how you should write it. But in essence, it really is an essay on why you want to go to this law school, right? Um, what have you done so far in your life, right? Which makes you want to go to this law school. And then what are your future plans, right? And how can this law school help you with your future plans, right? So you have to marry all those threads into uh, an essay, 
right? And the best advice I can give you is uh, work on that essay for as long as you can, right? It's it's a thing that people read very closely. And I have realized that, you know, I might write something and I think it's great and I've never written anything better than that. And I keep it, you know, keep it aside. I come back after five days, read it again. And I feel like I need to change all of this again, right? So it, I would, if, if people are serious about um, applying for a master's degree, start working on your essay and revisit it often and often and often, right? It, it, it is worth spending the time on that essay. And the last thing is the letters of recommendation from, um, from two or three, right? Law schools require either two letters of recommendation or three. And again, the best uh, recommendation I can give you on that is don't get letters of recommendation from, you know, famous people, right? If they have, if they don't have uh, any inkling of who you are as a candidate, right? Like you, your uncle might be the chief justice of India and you get a letter of recommendation from the chief justice of India, it's going to be worthless, right? Because what people are looking for are letters from people who have observed you closely, right? So depending on where you're in your career, it could either be your professors or it, if you work for a few years, it could be people who are supervised to work. Those are the letters that are meaningful and you know convey something about your who you are as a candidate, right? I can tell you when I wrote my letters of recommendation, it was, you know, Udesa was one of the people who wrote a letter of recommendation for me, right? Because um, uh, he, he was somebody who had supervised work, my work, right? Um, uh, so like, you know, you might, you might think that getting a letter from a famous name may be helpful, but it is usually counterproductive. Um, um, so those, I would, yeah, those are the three things I would emphasize on if you're really serious about um, going for a master's degree. And let me add one more point, right, on why you should do a master's degree. Like, if your only objective of doing an LLM is to get a job abroad, you need to think closely about it because uh, if that is your sole objective that may be an objective that may not be realized uh, it has nothing to do with how good you are as a candidate uh, getting a job abroad has a lot to do with market conditions um, and a lot of other factors that are just outside your control right so but if you are doing a master's degree for other reasons right you're interested in a certain subject you want to read more about it you want to have an experience, right? You want to go to a world-class institution, right? Um, you know, there is something to be said about, you know, like we have great law schools in India, but these law schools in India have existed, you know, maybe for 20 years. Analyst Bangalore is what, 20, 25 years old? Uh, law schools like, you know, Oxford, Harvard, other law schools, they've been in existence for hundreds of years, right? So there is something to be said about having that history and that rigor applied. So it is a completely different set of, teaching pedagogy and methodology, which I think is worth being exposed to. Um, so there are a lot of other good reasons uh, to go to law school. Also, right, meeting people from all the all over the world, right? You get different perspectives, right? We all, you know, we all, much as we think we do not, we all live in um, small bubbles of our own making, right? Like, we, so it, it is good to be exposed to people who, to, who think differently, who come from different cultures, it just expands your horizon. So there are a lot of other reasons to go to law schools abroad. Uh, but if your sole reason is to get a job abroad, I, I would ask you to think closely, pay attention to market conditions, talk to people uh, if that's your sole reason. All right. Uh, so uh, can you can you also just brief our audience about 
the the degrees that you've done like in oxford i think it's bcl and harvard i think uh, harvard provides a specialized llm there is no general llm in harvard it's it's specialized it's it's a it's based on a particular area that you want to pursue in so can you just give a brief idea about bcl from oxford and llm from harvard yeah sure um so the bcl is um is actually the flagship program for oxford right oxford actually places the bcl degree above their undergraduate law degree right so oxford is steeped in tradition as you can imagine they have they they've been doing things a certain way for you know 400 500 years uh, there is an order in which they award degrees in the graduation ceremony and the way it's awarded is in the order of importance they attach to each degree right and bcl is one of the first degrees awarded in the ceremony right that's the importance they place on the bcl um you will see a lot of students who have done undergrad law degrees in the llb from oxford go ahead and do the bco and you know the it's only the best students who have done really well in their llb in oxford are admitted to the bco so that way the bcl is you know placed it has got a lot of importance um the professors who teach it place a lot of importance on the program so when you're there and when you tell people you're doing the bcl you know people kind of look at you with a little bit of awe and you feel good about yourself so th that is oxford right very different um so probably unique among all masters degree programs the llm at harvard is different um uh, it, it, to your question it is actually a general llm harvard does not offer specialized llms um there are other law schools like stanford that does specialized llms in you know ip and corporate governance and things like that um the llm at harvard is really one year of their jd program right so the jd program which is the uh, which is the llb equivalent in the us is a three year uh, program the llm is structured as one year of the jd program so you are sitting with jd students you attend the same classes as jd students it's just that you only do it for a year and the jd students do it for three years so completely different right when you tell people so there is there is a perspective uh, if you do the llm at harvard people will think oh you're just here you're just partying for a year it's not a serious program uh, there is a perception to that uh, you can make whatever you want at the program you can uh, you can take whatever courses you want all the courses that are open to jd students are open to you um but the perspective with which harvard approaches it and oxford approaches it is a very different right um uh, that that is just on perspective right now if you get into you know like real life practical uh, you know pra uh, what can you do with a law degree from either of these programs you know you, people will have different perspectives but my own view is the llm at harvard is a little bit more practical if you want to end up working in a firm in in the us um just because you know um one is you need to write, write a bar exam uh, the new york bar or the california bar or some state bar and you do need an llm degree to write the bar exam because your um, llb degree from india does not qualify you to sit for the bar exam um you need to do at least an LLM degree to be even eligible to sit for the bar exam uh, at least for new york california is different um you don't need to do the llm to uh sit for the california bar you can just write the california bar but what the llm degree also gives you is it gives you access to law firms and law firm partners and 
um, all of that. So there is a better route to getting a job if that is what you want to do. Um, uh, I think the LLM at Harvard is also a little bit more, I would call it more practice oriented, um, which is also because, um, you know, there are a lot of courses where, you know, practicing lawyers come and take those courses, right? The way, the way um, classes are structured is, you know, if you, if you have a corporate governance class, you would have a corporate governance class one or two days every week. So your Tuesdays or Wednesdays, you would have a class, then you don't read corporate governance the rest of the week. Then it's again the next Tuesday and Wednesday. That's how all classes are structured. So uh, if you have one of those classes, right, you actually have people flying down from New York or like people working in Boston, wherever, right? Like practicing lawyers coming down and teaching those classes. So it is much more practical. It is more closely aligned to the real practice of law um, than maybe in Oxford because, you know, Oxford is more, uh, they're more grounded on, you know, theory, um, the fundamental underpinnings of a lot of things, right? Which is intellectually stimulating in itself. And I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. It really depends on what you want to do. Um, so I think um, when I went to Oxford, all I wanted to do is read more about certain subjects. So it was perfect for me. I was not looking to get a job in the UK or anything. Um, but, um, you know, I have a friend uh, who was with me at Oxford. The only thing he wanted to do was to practice law, right? So he did, he was, he did the BCL at Oxford along with me came back to uh, Madras, started practicing at the Madras High Court, realized that, you know, it is not exactly the practice of law that he had in mind. Went back to the UK, um, uh, he did um, what, uh, in the UK to practice law, you need to be a barrister. And to be a barrister, you have to first do something what's called, um, a, you have to get a pupillage in a, in a chamber, which is very difficult to get. But the fact that he had done the BCL at Oxford and he did it very well, he was a Rhodes Scholar, he stood fast in the BCL, helped him get a pupillage, which is incredibly difficult to get. And now he's like a barrister in the UK, right? So those options also open up uh, if that is what you want to do. Uh, but predominantly, it is more, you know, uh, intellectual pursuit than a, uh, than a stepping stone to law firms in the UK. I, I, thank you for that. Now, uh, moving further, Adarsh, now the question of the hour, uh, how to land a foreign law firm job? I mean, what all things the student should, you know, work on to specifically if he or she is aiming to get placed in a magic circle firm. And since you have worked in both in the working conditions of India as well as New York, what as per you is the major difference in the working conditions of both these countries? And if you can give a little uh, insights about VAC schemes and training contracts and why you why you didn't went for didn't go for VAC schemes and training contract and directly went to the US and yeah, please. Yeah, uh, let me just start with a couple of things on terminology, right? So when you say magic circle firms, right, you're really referring to um, three or four firms in the UK, you're not referring to US firms at all, right? So magic circle firms are firms like Linkletters, Allen and Overy, Clifford Jams, uh, they're UK firms, right? They're not US firms. Um, uh, and it is these UK firms that have training contracts and VAC schemes and all of that. The reason I didn't apply for them, honestly, is I did not know about them when I was like in HNLU. Um, uh, I, uh, I probably realized that there are these things when I was in my fifth year, and by that time, it was too late to apply for one of those. You'd apply for those when you're in your fourth year, right? So, uh, you know, that was one of the drawbacks if I think back about being in a new law school where, you know, you don't have these systems in place, right? 
so it was a different uh, set of circumstances. Um, um, so uh, magic circle firms are UK firms. US law firms uh, are not referred to as magic circle <laughs> law firms. Sometimes you hear the term white shoe firms for some of the older uh, US law firms. But the more uh, common parlance is big law. So B-I-G-L-I-Law, L-A-W-S, like one term. That's the term you usually reference for like, you know, the top 20, 30 uh, US law firms, right? Uh, so the, the ways of getting into magic UK firms versus the US firms are a little different. UK firms have these, you know, training contracts, um, back scheme that you can apply to when you're in fourth year. Um, and more and more UK firms are hiring from directly out of Indian law schools, right? Uh, they've been doing it for a long time from established law schools like, you know, NUJS, NLS, NALSA, right? They have a practice and a history of just recruiting from those law schools. Um, and I'm not sure about, you know, how many of those have happened from HNLU, but that is definitely an avenue if people are not aware of it. You know, it is worth spending the time and effort to figure out exactly how these vacation schemes work. You, you know, as the, you know, um, not, the, the right committee, which is probably the, you know, the recruitment committee, it is worth the committee writing directly to these uh, law firms that have these training contracts, introducing the law school, you know, telling them a little bit about the law school and saying, our students are interested, you know, keep us posted on, you know, how these schemes work. Let us know when applications are open. We want to encourage our students to apply. And I'm sure these law firms would be receptive, right? But uh, if you are not already doing that, you know, it is worth taking the time to figure out what are the firms, what are the top firms in the UK that offer these schemes um, and writing to them initially as a committee uh, and then, you know, opening up that information to students, right? Um, US law firms are very different. Um, there is no direct recruit. Uh, US law firms, to my knowledge, don't recruit directly from Indian law schools, right? Uh, one main reason is because with an Indian degree, you cannot practice law in New York at least because you're not eligible to sit for the bar. Um, so the tried and tested way of doing it is you do an LLM, uh, you qualify for the bar, uh, and then you um, get a job, right? Um, the unfortunate thing about US law firm recruiting is um, the way law firm recruiting generally works in the U.S. is uh, it is all geared towards JD students. Um, so how it happens is if you are a second year JD student, um, you um, at the end of your first year as a student in law school, you interview with law firms to come in for a summer program, right? It's called the summer program. It's it's equivalent to what we call, you know, summer internships in India. It's a more formal program. You you actually have to pass an interview. It's the, the law the law firms actually go to law. Each law firm goes to law school. It's spread over weeks. It's 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 a very you know uh, organized event where first year law students are interviewed for the summer program. Right? It's not for a job. It's for a summer program. Um, law firms recruit large number of students to come in for their summer program. It's a two-month program. People generally go to one law firm uh, for those two months in the summer. Um, so law, you know, big law firms have like, you know, 100, 200 students coming for their summer program. And what happens is at the end of the summer program, law firms hand out offers to the law students, right? So as a, by the end of your second year as a JD student, you would have offers from law firms. 
what that means for for yes a student is you know end of your second year you have a job you have your third year of jd to go through but you already have a job what that means for law firms is they've already completed recruiting for one year ahead right they've already recruited a large number of students um a year ahead of when they'll actually come and join the firm so that is the market into which you're going as an LLM student. You know, law firms have by and large completed their recruiting because they've completed their JD recruiting. They know exactly the number of students are going to come. Um, then it really depends on market conditions, right? Um, like, it, 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 I mean, we, we, there is a, we are, we are in, a, in a set of circumstances where we, we can actually contrast um, two years, right? So the last year, 2021, there was a huge demand for law students, right? Um, it was followed by, you know, we had a pandemic where some people, a lot of people actually decided they don't want to be in law firms anymore, right? They just decided they want to do other things in life, right? Uh, people are sitting at home for uh, a year or two. They decided, hey, this is not, I can do other things with my time. So what happened, it happened in India, it happened all across the world, but what happened also in the US is a lot of people quit law firms. Right, because uh, in larger numbers than uh, what law firms are expecting, that just opened up a huge demand for new recruiting. Right, so law firms had already completed their JD recruiting, but because of the large number of people leaving, there was suddenly a demand for new uh, recruits. And last year uh, was a banner year for LLMs, right, because there was this huge demand that opened up. So almost every law student who had gone to a decent law school and done an LLM got a job last year, right? Because, because of market conditions. That was last year. This year is very different, right? This year, the markets are down. There are law firms uh, in the US that, you know, are, are definitely, definitely not recruiting. There are, you know, law firms that are very, very tech driven, right? They only do tech, um, uh, uh, a lot of those law firms are affected and some of those law firms are thinking about laying off people. So, th so this is an extremely difficult year for LLM recruiting, right? So th this is a year where you may be a really great candidate. You would have gone to the best law school. You would have done really well. You have like three or four years of extremely good experience, but you may still struggle to find a job just because of market conditions. It's got nothing to do with how good you are. It's just how the market is. Um, so the unfortunate truth is, um, there is, you know, a lot of how you end up getting a job in New York or the US law firm is going to be driven by market conditions. What can you do to make your chances better? I think one is having work experience before you do your LLM, right? The one reason a US law firm may hire an LLM is because they have some work experience, right? So what can you do to sell yourself over a JD student who has just studied for three years, right? It's only your work experience, right? So this JD student has gone three years to a US law school, is well steeped in US law, you know, have, knows all the cultural references, right? Is from the US. And you have to stand out, you know, from that student, right? And what can make you stand out is only your work experience, right? So what you're selling is, hey, like, I have done this kind of thing for, you know, three, four years. I worked in India, uh, you know, it's a different jurisdiction, but the kind of work I did is very similar, right? It, it could be a corporate lawyer, right? It's a common law country, you know, the concepts are very similar. Um, you know, it's ultimately law of contracts, right? If I'm a corporate lawyer, what am I doing? I'm, doing, I'm drafting a purchase agreement. 
the concepts and a purchase agreement in India and in the US are very much the same, right? So having work experience definitely helps, right? So if you're thinking about going to the US with the uh, idea of landing a job, my recommendation would be that you work in India or wherever, right? For, you know, at least two years. Um, I would think two to four years is probably the right um, horizon. Um, beyond that, it is paying attention to what the market is and how the economy is doing, right? Being, you know, read, right? Read about how the global economy is doing, read about how the US economy is doing. Um, and then I think the last thing I would say is think about whether you really want to work in the US, right? Um, um, I think uh, a lot of people strongly believe, uh, you know, the next 10, 15 years, most of the growth is going to be in India, right? Um, India is going to be a much bigger growth story than, you know, a lot of other jurisdictions, right? The last um, 10 years or so was China, right? Everybody was really interested in China. Uh, China really drove the global economy. Um, and a lot of people, right? A lot of smart people think the next 10 years is going to be in India, right? So, uh, you know, uh, why do you want to be in the US? Uh, are there good reasons to be in the US, right? You may still have good reasons to be in the US, but think about, you know, can you live in India and do the same thing in India and have a very rewarding career in India, right? Um, it, it is a, it is, you should think long and hard about those options. So uh, coming to the second part of my question, uh, I mean, you've you worked in both India and uh, New York. So what, what sort of difference do you think the work conditions, like with regards to the work condition is there? I mean, um uh, and any any downside of of I mean, you faced in working in india and in new york any sort of downside or upside i mean uh, yeah i think um uh couple of things right the practice of law is a little different um in and um i think lawyers are equally smart in both places what is different is uh, and i'm talking purely about corporate law right because that's what i've done you know Corporate law as an institutionalized practice of law in India began when India opened up, right? So 1990s uh, is when India really opened up. That's when, you know, corporate practice of law opened up. So we have been doing it for about 30 years now, right? Uh, corporate law in the US, you know, has been a thing for the last 100 years. And solely because, you know, they've been doing it, it's, it, for a far longer time, it is a more sophisticated practice of law. It's got nothing to do with how smart people are. It's just because people have been doing it more. Uh, there is a market, you know, to certain terms. Um, there is a level of sophistication that comes with doing things for a longer period of time, because over a period of time, things evolve. Um, so people, you know, think about new things. Um, so just solely because of that reason, I think it's a more sophisticated practice um, in the US. Um, I think the other difference I would see is um, because of various reasons, um, India is a regulated economy, right? India is far more regulated than what the US is, right? The US is, and you know, US is open capitalist at its core, right? What that means is there are fewer regulations on how you can do business, right? India is not that. India is regulated, right? Like um, there are regulations on how much foreign investment come in in certain sectors, right? 
Um, there are regulations on, you know, what you can do with a certain company, all of that, right? So the the opportunity to do um, innovative new stuff is a little limited, right? Just because it's far more regulated. And, you know, the reasons why India is regulated and the reasons why the US is not is historic. There are good reasons why um, a regulated economy makes sense for India. Um, you know, it, there is an argument to be made that, you know, being regulated help India withstand a lot of the uh, downturn in the global economy whenever there's been a recession in the global economy, right? So it's just a fact, right? Um, so I think just because you can do more innovative uh, stuff in a less regulated economy, uh, you just tend to see newer structures, newer thoughts um, in the US, right? Um, but beyond that, I think uh, the corporate practice of law at its core is is the same the world over, right? It's um, it's it's long hours. Um, it is it is a lot of hard work. Um, it's 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 not it's not very different. So, um, can you give an overview about your practice area? I mean, I think uh, if I'm not wrong, you work in mergers and acquisitions and private equity. So, I mean, what sort of, I mean, if you've also worked that this area only in India as well for ACB. So what, what do you think, uh, like a, a sole difference between working the similar practice in India and in New York, the amount of merger and acquisition, I think you are currently dealing with are more like numbers are very big as compared to india right yeah i mean the, the the deal size right what you call like the numbers is deal size right are you doing like a i don't know 50 million dollar deal or are you doing a 1 billion dollar deal deal size is different but you know that by itself doesn't mean that what you do is different um sometimes the bigger deals are just easier to do because people are not that like if you have a billion dollars to spend you probably don't care about every small term in your contract Right. But if you are like a small business who has like just $20 million to spend, you care about every small thing. Right. So sometimes these smaller deals are more difficult to do. It's just counterintuitive uh, because people care more about their money. Right. Um, but um, uh, in terms of difference, I, I don't think there's a ton of difference. Right. As I said, like the way you do things are different because the, you know, it's a more uh, probably a more developed economy. Um, but um, um, at its core, I think uh, what is like, let's think about what MA really means, right? At its core, MA is one company buying another company, right? Very basic, simplistic, right? So let's take an example of one like my client is a car company, they want to buy another car company, right? Um, and I have to draft the contract for it, I have to like negotiate the terms for that contract, all of that, right? That that's at a very simple level, right? Now you can add layers of complexity to it, right? Let's let's assume, um, you know, the car company I want to buy has developed a new technology um, for running a more efficient engine, right? And which is why my client wants to buy this car company because they think that new technology is important, right? And now the question comes. Can that new technology be patented, right? If it cannot be patented, then it's probably going to be worthless, right? Um, which means I have to now talk to like you know my IP lawyers to figure out to really understand the technology, figure out you know can it actually withstand an IP scrutiny, right? So that's one aspect of it. Uh, then I might learn that you know this 
company that I want to buy has a labor union, right? And, um, you know, uh, there are uh, labor and employees you have to deal with, which means now I have to talk to like my employment lawyers to understand, you know, if I have a labor union, how do you deal with a labor union? Do I need the consent of the labor union to actually buy this company, right? So then there's an employment aspect to it, right? And then there will be an antitrust aspect to it, right? I, my client is a car company that's buying another car company. I have to talk to antitrust lawyers to figure out, you know, would the government look at a thing, look at this deal and think we are going to reduce competition and increase prices of cars and would the government block this deal, right? There's that aspect to it. Um, assume my client is a car company in China, right? And is a Chinese car company buying a US car company. I have to deal with a whole set of, this is a little technical, but uh, if there is foreign investment coming into the US, you have to go through a process called uh, CFIUS, which stands for Committee of Foreign Investment into the US. What it really looks at is, are there national security implications, right? It may not apply to a car company, but assume the company was uh, um, a company that supplies equipment to the US, US Department of Defense, right? A Chinese company buying a company that supplies equipment to the US Department of Defense would go through this process, right? The government would look at it to see if it impacts national security considerations of the United States, right? So that's a whole aspect to it, um, which is which is you know one part of doing an M&A deal. Assume I discover that you know this company that I wanted to buy um, had a litigation two years back because its airbags failed, right? Uh, there's a class action pending, right? Now I have to talk to like all types of litigators to figure out how big a claim that is. Uh, what do I do about that claim, right? So uh, m and at its core is buying one company, but it has all these other aspects that feed into it. So what I like about it is, you know, you're not just drafting a contract and just doing the corporate aspects of it. You're talking to specialists from all kinds of areas to really understand what goes into the deal and then bringing it all together for your client and making a recommendation and then drafting terms, right? Uh, so it's just, a, it's, it's a lot more than what appears in its face. So, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I, it was a long answer to a, probably not what you expected, but I just wanted to like lay out what m really means. Uh, first of all, it was not a long answer. I mean, I'm trying to milk you as, 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 as much as I can, because the, the, the amount of knowledge that I mean, a person should have to land a job like this. I mean, it's it's tremendous for us. I mean, I mean, the, the, the amount of information I am getting right now, it's it's really bizarre. It's it's amazing. So just just moving ahead, I I know you you have your time bounds as well. So just moving ahead with the last two questions. So uh, what what according to you, what a student that is currently in the first or second year of his law school should you know do to outstand from the rest of the batch, and you know to achieve what he wants um <laughs> I, I, I don't i don't know um i also don't i don't know i i don't think you should always think as think of it as what can i do to you know outstand myself from other people but i think probably the, i don't know to my mind the better question is you know what can i do to better myself right um it doesn't matter like what other people are doing right it, it really depends on uh, what can you do to be better over a period of time, any given day, right? Um, the rest of it will just naturally follow. I think 
<laughs> a lot of people in this world are unhappy just because they're looking at what other people are doing right if we all stop you know comparing ourselves to other people and uh, start thinking more about hey am i a little better than i was last year like do i have a little bit more knowledge have i read a little bit more um than last year i think we would all be far more happier um all i would say is find out things that you like and what your genuine interests are um don't just blindly follow what other people are doing um there is there is no one path to being successful right there's definitely not right this is born out of you, you i would ask you to like talk to more alumni and maybe not in a public forum right ask alumni how well they did in law school right you will realize a lot of our alumni who are doing exceedingly well did not do that well in law school right so there is it is not a perfect correlation and don't take this as me telling you you know your academic credentials and doing well in law school is not important right it is important what that what that immediately translates to you is in your first few years you would have a step up right if you've done well in law school your first job um your you know if you want to do your llm your first stepping stone would definitely be easier if you have a good law school record right but over the years your skills which are not necessarily skills that you learned in law school would come to the fore right so um uh i would uh, yeah i don't know what you should do to outstand yourself but I would say like like just that. adding adding on to your point uh, your your one of your juniors was there was here uh, like two days back uh, if you remember john ragav your friend as well yeah. so yeah so he was he was actually just a just a uh, thing to say he was actually saying that zia modi still remembers you he she still misses you and all <laughs> because he did such a tremendous job in azb so he he mentioned that he very specifically mentioned that you know love like love your books like love reading books you should always go ahead and you know be willing to read books as much books as you as you can and and you should always be willing to you know i mean course book as well and you know general reading so he he gave a general advice with respect to that when when he was asked like what we should do to you know further our career or to to best to to you know make, make like make the best versions make out the best versions of ourselves so he specifically mentioned that read books as much books as you can yeah i i couldn't agree more right like just find out things that interest you and just keep reading right if you if you like reading fiction just read fiction there's nothing wrong with reading fiction right it still gives you ideas right the i think the best strength we all have is just our intellectual capacity and our imagination right anything you read sparks your imagination um the the fact that you mentioned acb just reminded me of something so i'm going to say it be be alive to opportunities right never you are never going to get something you did not ask for right so don't think that i'm not good enough for this so i wouldn't even apply right never have that keep trying right you're not going to get an opportunity you never tried for right? and the reason i remember this is the reason i got my job in acb is um in my fifth year i had uh, at that time there was only one amarchand um i had just finished my you know internship at amarchand in delhi um and i thought i had done well um you know i was hoping to get a offer from amarchand um and i was waiting on that um and then i had two weeks 
And for some reason, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but for two weeks, I decided to go intern at KCB, right, in December, because I didn't have anything else to do. Um, and, you know, in two weeks, it's very difficult to make an impression on anyone. Uh, and I didn't make an impression on anyone, if that's what you're wondering. But on my uh, second last day at ACB, I just wrote an email to Sia and said, hey, I'm here, right? And I really liked ACB when I was there. Uh, I just wrote an email to her, said, hey, I'm here. I would really like to work at ACB, right? That's all I did. And she called me and had a, in, had a what, a 10-minute interview. I spoke to some other people. And that's how I got the job, right? Not because somebody looked at me and was like very impressed at me, solely because I wrote an email to her, right? Um, so uh, all I would say is, you know, <laughs> be alive to opportunities. Um, never think, never don't apply for something thinking you're not good enough, right? What's the worst case, right? Like you don't get it, right? You get something else, right? So do apply, do, do, do be, uh, give it your best at, you know, all opportunities that come at you. So lastly, as you've mentioned that be alive to the opportunities, I just, I just want to lay it out there. So as you might have observed that nowadays any use collaborate with uh, international law firms in various aspects, such as conducting competitions like moots, negotiations and training programs for students aspiring to work in those firms. And this is achieved through alumnus of that respective college uh, working in the particular firm. So Adesh, is there any chance that Kirkland and Ellis and HNLU can collaborate in future for any purpose? I mean, it can be for yeah, a new I mean, negotiation yeah, or training right. program or any other program for that matter. Yeah, yeah, no, like we should definitely think about collaborating on like, you know, trainings or presentations, right? Like, um, yeah, um, you know, like just off my head, right? Not not related to HNLU, but uh, the Banshu Mukherjee, who many of you know is, at Vidhi, right? Like he was instrumental in um, the bankruptcy code, right? Yeah. So like we, we talk very seriously about coordinating on something on, you know, bankruptcy in India, because that's that's a big thing, right? So if, if there are topics like that, that are new, that could be interesting, yeah, we should definitely think about collaborating, right? Um, and, and I also want to be perfectly honest, right? Um, recruiting is, as I said, right? No, it's not unique to Kirkland. No US law firms recruit directly from Indian law schools, right? It's just because with an Indian degree, you cannot practice law in, at least in New York, right? So the path is different. So th there would be limited coordination on recruiting, but you know, uh, informally, we should continue talking. You should reach out to other alumni who's working in the US, um, um, you know, talk about what opportunities are available. I, I definitely will trouble you with this. I, I'm not going to leave you with this. I'm, I, I'll, <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll not let this go. I'll, I'll try my level best to bring Kirkland and Ellis to do some sort of program in HNLU. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for that statement and I'm going to live by that. <laughs> so, sure. so by that, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Adarsh. I mean, I'm really grateful that you, you take, you took out time from your busy schedule and, you know, it was indeed an honor to converse with you. And, uh, if, if Mr. Registrar sir has any parting remarks, I would give, give him the stage, please. So please, if you have any, yeah, if, if I can make one parting comment, because I wanted to say this before, but I forgot, um, I think, you know, one of the, uh, one of the most important skills we should all develop and not from a career perspective. And I think as lawyers, we should cherish is the power of persuasion, right? Being able to persuade some, somebody of something, right? And the importance of civility in discourse, right? 
um, two very important things, right? I think we all live in um, we all live in uh, in a in an environment that's increasingly charged, right? People have strong beliefs about things, can be ideological, can be religious, right? We all innately have strongly held beliefs, right? But being able to persuade somebody about why what we think is right and being able to do it in a civil and amicable manner, I think is a very important skill, you know, in the times we live in. Right? Like I, I may be an anim I may be a person who thinks that, you know, all cats are evil, right? I don't think that, but I could be that person. I have that belief, right? If you just, you know, if you just tell me you are a stupid, superstitious man, right? That's not gonna help. Right, I'm going to continue to hold on to my beliefs, right? But being able to reason with me and persuade me and show me why what I think may not be correct is an important skill, and I think it's going to be increasingly important uh, in our lives ahead. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. So yeah, so Rajesh, so if you have anything to say, yeah, it, it's indeed a kind of you know uh, a pleasure listening to others. Uh, and uh, kind of candid conversation which was going on and uh, i uh, believe that uh, it was a kind of uh, mix of uh, sending across a message uh, to the uh, hnlu fraternity back uh, at the campus back in india and at the same time uh, a very a frank uh, sort of uh, thought on the part of others that uh, how you know, block by block, we need to build uh, our career, uh, and and uh, he has uh, uh, really touched upon important issues. And uh, I would also uh, say that that his uh, very uh, commitment to uh, look commitment for engaging with HNLU in an institutional sense uh, is this. Uh, uh, really welcome uh, on behalf of hnlu i uh, express my thank to others for uh, uh, indicating a possible area of collaboration and also uh, i must say on a on a, on a very firm way that uh, the, the kind of uh, uh, perspective we have brought on uh, civility i think this is something which is uh, the need of the hour uh, where we need to engage uh, we need to, you know, get into a kind of discourse. Uh, we need to uh, get into kind of dialogue uh, for uh, convincing each other instead of uh, getting into a kind of uh, a scenario where uh, we try to uh, win an argument. So that's a wonderful message I believe you have uh, given to all of us. And uh, and then we look forward to be in touch with you and uh, 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 I, I would say on behalf of HNLU, whenever you come to India, uh, please do take time out and uh, visit HNLU. It has, got, it has got a lovely campus. I don't know whether you have visited it or not. Uh, I'm finding it a very lovely campus. Uh, uh, other than what uh, uh, we were struggling uh, in the initial years, where uh, we were struggling to find out the classroom, the dining area, and uh, you know, a proper place for accommodation. I remember uh, every semester, almost every year, we are on a job to look for a hostel accommodation for all of you. So it's a wonderful place and uh, please do come uh, stay with us, interact with the students, interact with the faculties. And uh, uh, we truly look forward for a very fruitful engagement with alumni 
because uh, HNLU truly believes and, uh, you know, we are of the opinion that uh, uh, for the traction, what is needed to make it a kind of competitor with the top tier law schools, uh, we need a constant engagement with the alumni. And uh, we, we are very proud of uh, the very fact that uh, HNLU alums are doing so good uh, across the countries. I, I must say so, uh, not only in India, but in abroad. And uh, you are uh, one of the you know uh, important strength and pillar for uh, this kind of program. Uh, and I personally thank you for agreeing to be part of this podcast series inaugural session uh, with a one call. You said, yes, uh, I'll be uh, for sure available for the program. And uh, uh, thank you for agreeing for the same. And I thank the Alumni Affairs Committee for arranging this. And uh, we look forward for uh, for for engaging with you uh, on some other program at some other platform. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So, Aninda, sir, if you have anything to say. Uh, I believe because this is an alumni affairs committee and alumni are talking, stories are in order. So uh, I'll, I'll start share one of one experience of mine with others. Uh, I believe it was third or fourth semester when I had a problem of understanding rule of subrogation and uh, temple of Priya Vihar case. I approached him in his room. Uh, he was one of the illustrious uh, student uh, at that point of time. And uh, as a junior, uh, we were all supposed to reach out to our seniors for all the problems. I reached out to him and he suggested me, then give me some time. I'll, I'll get back to you uh, on this case and with the concept. At the back of the mind, I thought uh, it's just big name. And listen, he's not even trying to cooperate. And uh, what what is he supposed to do? Take care. That's okay. He's senior. What I'm, what I'm, what I can say. But then at 11 p.m. in the hostel, uh, somebody knocked the door, and this this gesture actually uh, is still part of my memory. He he was in the door. He was at the door. He approached me and he sat there for around 15-20 minutes explaining the whole concept and everything. So that's. Uh, I, if you remember, uh, uh, yesterday he, uh, John was telling that how others was actually the others guy, right? So <laughs> definitely he was. And today again, it was all uh, all the memories which flash back when he messaged you over WhatsApp that please don't call me, bhaiya. It was the first day again of HNLU when we approached him, Adarvia, uh, how to do it? Let's keep it uh, very informal. Let's not call each other, bhaiya, didi, kya bhaiya, didi. So these were all the 2004 things which came back today. Uh, I was supposed to give vote of thanks, but with alumni affairs committee, I believe we need to uh, scrap this whole vote of thanks system because uh, in alumni affairs committee, we are going to host our own people and it's our own people who are coming back to us. So vote of thanks uh, is something that we will be uh, scrapping. However, uh, we are very thankful. And uh, sir has already mentioned that we are very thankful that Adarsh has accepted in, in a single message from sir in a, in a, uh, in one demand when Yashwardhan asked me, I requested sir, if you can reach out to Adarsh and can reach out. He, he said yes. And I told yes, that, okay, he has said, yes, let me coordinate. Then Diwali came and there were so much problems. But then again, in your busy schedule, you said yes to it. Uh, although, although Adarsh does not need vote of thanks from us. Uh, he being our own people, but there are people who uh, actually uh, deserve this vote of thanks. So let me start with the highest office, Honorable Vice Chancellor, sir, who was very happy and cooperative the moment I came up with the idea. 
Uh, I would also thank Registrar sir for saying yes to the program and, and facilitating whenever I reached, reached out to him. Although we, we had discussions of how to take up this program and sir agreed uh, upon, upon the discussion. Uh, then let's have the team here uh, who needs all the credentials, all, all the applauses uh, lead, led by Yashovardhan and my own faculty team, Ankit sir, Garima ma'am. Uh, Barkha ma'am, Abhinav sir, all the team members who, who contributed to this whole program and last IT team uh, who and the IT guy Bhaiya is already sitting over there, he is, he is thinking ki, uh, what else do we need to do right now at 9.30. So let me thank everyone and at last I'll thank Adarsh who joined us. So thank you Adarsh. Thank you only for the sake that a formal event should end with a thank you. Although uh, we we want to want you to be in the campus uh, ASAP, uh, students would like to hear from you, and we also want you to have that nostalgia. Nostalgia, although we will not be able to go back to that old old campus, but then this new campus is worth uh, all the penny that you will invest. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. So, with the permission of registrar sir, uh, we may close the session, sir. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, sir. Have a, have a great day ahead.